crazy month of comic book news and all of those fun things. With me tonight, as always, let's jump with Darren first. How are you doing tonight, Darren? Man, I am excited because we have some fun stuff this month. We do, we do. Mostly, mostly the normal in the top half, the back half, we've got some cool stuff that uh, that Matt brought into our attention. How are you doing, Matt? Doing all right, man. I am here, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Good to see you, buddy. It's been a while. And also, great Gary. How are you doing, Gary? Uh, doing well. I am drowning in uh, in comics here. Yeah. I'm nearly buried. I, I saw you picked up a bit. You sent me a picture of you adding a few uh, trades because you have no patience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, picked up uh, the first four of Monstrous, so I can quit complaining about uh, being behind. Yeah, you need to get caught up so we can talk about it. Yeah. I also picked up the complete collection of Spider-Ham. <laughs> <laughs> Just just because it was there, and uh, he, he's come up like once a month for like the last three months. So, I mean, is there any other reason to read Spider Ham than other he is just there? No, 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 no. Uh, How are you, Phil? How are I'm, you? I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I've been reading a lot uh, after my long invincible run. I got caught up on Monstrous as well. I reread the beginning and totally, totally caught up. Um, I got a weird itch to read something for retro in a couple months that uh, that should be interesting. That I remember it kind of killed X Men for me when I was uh, when I was younger. So not wait to do that. That'll be fun. Oh yeah, because I was um, the I, I mentioned previously that Come On Games released a Marvel United board game. Uh, I showed you guys a couple of miniatures from it last time we recorded. Actually. Played it a little bit. They did another campaign for uh, Marvel United X-Men that just ended, man, it must have been yesterday per our recording this today. And they, man, they dug deep for some characters. Uh, and one of which is what is leading me to this retro that is in my future. I'm going to stay a little mysterious about it. But boy, boy, am I probably going to regret that decision. Regardless, uh, that is that is definitely on its way. Hi, Matt. What was that, Darren? I said hi, Matt. <laughs> Darren said hi. Hey, I yes. went to uh, Gary. Did you get up to Carolyn John's not free comic book day? I got up there Saturday. Uh, Evan and I went up. Um, I went up there with a very finite list of things I was looking for. So we ended up not spending a lot of time. But again, I walked out of there with a lot of the trades just because of the sales that were on. Oh, so that's where you were. I know you're going to a couple of places. Yeah, I, I thought I, it was I, dope, yo. Yeah, there was uh, almost too much to just yeah, there was you know go through randomly. You know, if you didn't have a target, you almost didn't know where to start. I had a target. It's uh, Phil and I a while back as Arrow was wrapping up his television run. We did the Longbow Hunters by Mike Grell, and I know he had done some work for DC in the seventies. He was primarily responsible for a comic book series called The Warlord, which was kind of a uh, DC's answer to Conan. Really cool concept where a Vietnam veteran is sort of sucked into this world of fantasy. And it's something I've always wanted to dive into. So I got like, it went 120 issues. I got like, I think 37 of the issues. And then I picked up some wow. other stuff I was missing from like the Teen Titans. Um, I got Robin. I got a bunch of Robin comics because I've always wanted to read his solo series. So I did the, they, I did the 50 for 100, or 100 for 50. So at 50 for 100 would have been a ripoff. No, I, oh, I had every intention of doing that. I just, uh, I don't think I could have found that many. 
I rounded out with a bunch of those DC who's who's. The old uh, like oh. bios, those are those are hilarious. And Phil, I opened one up, and the first thing I gave it to my son, and he opens it right up to Atari Force of all things. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I I sadly didn't make it to that. I, I wanted to. I haven't actually been able to make it to Carol and John's for almost a month, a uh, so I'm gonna have a pretty nasty uh, pull list waiting for me, I'm sure. But I'm glad that went well. I, it looked really cool. Matt, how's it going? still going fine <laughs> i just check it yeah you sure you good yeah i'm i'm like i said i'm here and i'm ready to go oh man well i'm i'm glad that that event happened and it'll be something that they do again in the future i know they have a lot of stuff in the back and it's a good way to kind of purge it um and, and i know that is always kind of the goal they do they used to do something similar to that during uh free comic book day as well so it's kind of cool that they found an outlet to do that earlier for sure Since, cool. yeah with free comic book day being pushed to august which hopefully will be awesome uh, and i don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at some of the books that they're pushing but i'm sure we will uh talk more about that in the future they they look great um as always and of course i get my yearly tick Hey, real quick sidebar. Um, I finally got a chance to watch Ready Player One, and they made a reference to Sword Quest. And I know. It's because a, of you, I actually knew what they were talking about. Well, you're so, welcome. Thank we, you. We, we provide a public service, I think, from time to time. I read the book, and it's a much bigger part of the book. Uh, I have Ready Player Two. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, though. I haven't read the book. I, I know it's good. Yeah, it's, it's basically... Someone described it like negatively to me before I picked it up. It was like basically some guy mansplaining 80s culture for 400 pages. I'm like, well, now I'm definitely reading it. <laughs> yeah, that's on my that's on my summer reading list. That's Dune because I've never actually read the original Dune. You're talking. Ooh. You're in the right place. Right, yeah. and uh, and I want to do that Stanley uh, biography. That's going to make me think less of Stanley. So <laughs> we'll have to do my- a uh, an episode unto itself for that. I. I I've warned. I, you've been forewarned. We've talked about this. I, I know, it, but I, I feel like it's my duty to read it at this point, being such a big Marvel guy and how much I lean into Stan. Agreed. So, yeah, it's you're gonna have to get that out of the way. It's it's fine. Nobody's perfect. It's fine. It's fine, right? You okay, me- so I know there. Are, let, me, let me say this, and I don't know if I said this on the show. There were some really, really horrifying things that came out about him at the end, and those are completely disproven. Okay. So, so if you're if you're thinking some of the really, really, really awful stuff, like that he perpetrated, none of it's true. All right, some of the stuff you think is true is more true than you think. That's fun. That's great. Gotta love taking our heroes and put them on your lens. It's a lens he pretty much put on himself, though. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, look at this. Well, not that, but you know. <laughs> Anything else for the good of the order before we dive in? Everyone's just looking at me with terrified looks on their faces. We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, so I think we should get to it. We do, but before we dive into that, while we are away... Phil, you're doing a hell of a job, man. You know, if you point it out every time... (laughs) Um, But I'm really proud of you. (laughs) Well... Well, and, and then this first story, anyway, it's kind of like it, it started to approach the Spider-Man, Superman, Star Trek movie news, where we were just like, okay, shut up until we're in the theater, just go away. 
a cease, and I'm talking about uh, Michael Keaton finally, officially being confirmed that he is in The Flash and he will be playing Batman. A seesaw of information coupled with the always reliable, sources say. Then, the even more reliable, sources who also told us blank, say. For over a year now, we have heard that Michael Keaton was rejoining the Warner Brothers production to return as Batman for the first time since 1992's Batman Returns. Then, the official announcement came last summer complete with concept art with Keaton in the costume. I think a lot of people forget that. Last summer's Virtual Comic Con, they had concept art with Michael Keaton in the Batman costume. Um, only it wasn't official. Then the official came, announcement came in the fall through DC's Fandome, and it was enough for me to include Michael Keaton's image as Batman, maybe even Bruce Wayne, as my number one selection in this year's What You're Looking Forward To. Only it wasn't official. Then Keaton was out, and Warner Brothers tried to satiate us with saying Ben Affleck was coming back, which I think the internet Batman fandom greeted with absolute silence. Um, and then they said Christian Bale was going to come back, and we were like, no, no. So uh, we, but we finally now have official set photos of what might be Wayne Manor, though Michael Keaton is nowhere in sight. However, Keaton did confirm through his talent agency that he agreed to be in The Flash. So finally, we could put this one to bed. He's going to be in the movie. He has apparently already been on set. So that one we can cross off the list, okay? It was, it started, it's one of those things that started off as like this super fun, like this is going to be great. How can you not want this to? You know what? I don't even care anymore, but at least, at least we're finally getting it. Yay. Oh, I'm sure you're overjoyed. I am. I think it's going to be fun. Somehow he's still the best on-screen Batman. Who? Is he going to be wearing the nipple the costume? Oh. Well, I think he'd probably walk off the set himself. He, he got out of there for that first. <laughs> but, Phil, I have to yeah. tell you. Yeah, I, uh, I was. Were you surprised that I was the one that put this into the text chain the other day? I, I was a little bit, but I assume you put it here because my one of my cardinal rules is I do not watch trailers, but it wasn't right? A trailer. And that's why I broke my cardinal rule and I watched it. So very recently, the, the Disney, Marvel, what have you, released a Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase Four sizzle reel to kind of amp everybody up before Phase Four actually begins by showing some clips from. The previous films from the first three phases, uh, a little bit of focus on Endgame and some actual fan reactions to Cap saying Avengers Assemble with Thor's hammer in his hand, and some other things with very quick clips from the films that are coming out that are already in production, including Black Widow, uh, oh my goodness, Shang-Chi, as well as Eternals, which I hadn't even realized that they had released any footage from that yet, with drops of the other films that would follow soon after. Uh, I'll tell you what, after a year of no new Marvel films in theater, granted, I just rewatched all of them, um, but it got the blood pumping. It really made you want to go back to the theaters and see these movies that are, are very, very soon. Uh, Black Widow is... is july now i think you changing the date i think it's july finally uh and i don't think they'll move that again 
And I may actually go to a theater instead of watching it on my smaller screen at home. So if you have not seen this at this point, take the time. I think it's like three and a half minutes, maybe four minutes, and check out the sizzle reel. Speaking of other things that sizzle, Matt. Well done. Well done. Fantastic. Well, Disney did a little bit of a mic drop recently. Uh, when at the last month, at the end of a, a presentation, uh, chairman from Disney Parks decided to bust out a lightsaber. Now, this was not caught on video, but it was a cause enough of a stir that folks started looking into it a little bit further. There was a patent that was made a few years ago, and then folks with a background in graphic design and things like that started mocking up what this might look like. Well, it doesn't much matter because they've actually already released now information to let you know what it looks like and the fact that it's going to be released at their hotels, their themed hotels, within the next year or so. So they're saying 2022, they believe that this will be available to the public. Now, the neat part about it is the way that they're constructing it. So it actually does retract entirely. And the way that it was explained in one of the websites that I went to, The Verge, was they were saying, think about it as if it were a measuring tape, right? The way that it kind of coils inside of itself. And then when it fully extends, there is enough light that goes through it. And so it's really, really interesting. And I have to admit, when I first heard about this, I was like, okay, this is just going to be a glorified version of that crappy lightsaber that I'm sure we all had at some point or another. That, you know, it, you could see about a foot of it. The and telescopic. Then you yeah. it really, really hard. And inevitably, you were going to hit somebody. And then when you did actually hit somebody with it, it broke apart. And so it wasn't really all that effective. Uh, when I saw the video of this, which is on, available on StarWars.com as well, when I saw the video of this, I went from doubting how cool it was to starting to look to see how, my, how expensive this might actually be. <laughs> because I think I'm definitely getting one. Uh, and when I say I think I'm definitely getting one, I'm definitely getting one when they are released. So hopefully it'll be a general public release eventually. And that I won't have to check into the hotel in order to get one. But uh, nonetheless, that was some pretty big news with some actual substantiated evidence behind it. So very, very exciting. Um, also exciting is courtroom drama is playing out for Marvel. Phil. Again, again. So this is not something that is new, but it is back. Marvel is being sued once again for Iron Man's suit design from various appearances during the Marvel Cinematic Universe run with Robert Downey Jr. Horizon Comics, which is a Montreal-based comic book company, um, said that the costume designs in the films are very, very, very close to um, a character design from a comic called Radix, R-A-D-I-X, which I'm not actually familiar with, uh, very specifically the Iron Man 3 Iron Man costume. In the past, when this has gotten to the courts, they've just dismissed it, saying that there's no true substantiated evidence that this is stolen or that they would have even seen these designs previously. And it, it's hard to argue with the Iron Man costume existing in the comics as long as it has and the different variations that they've had. So who knows, but it's worth mentioning that Disney just keeps having to return to court because of this. Um, and I haven't really done a ton of digging for what Radix looks like. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen this outfit. I think Darren's looking at it right now. Okay, so here's both sides of this for me. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. But 
they don't, aren't there like 190 of these Iron Man costumes? It stands to reason at some point along the way they were just going to hit it, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, so... And, and not only that, the problem is it's not even so much that the costume is similar as that in the Iron Man 3 poster, his Robert Downey's hero pose is very similar to Radix's hero pose, but I would like to say... Okay, but that hero pose has probably been used by every single superhero at some point along the way. And Jedi. Like, it's just... It's, yes, of course, you're right. So Landing with the hand in the... Like, it's... I don't know. I don't think there's... I'm going to say that they don't... To me, it doesn't look like they have much of a case. I think it's happenstance, really. I mean, and, it's it's a suit of armor. It's a space suit of armor. I mean, what, you what is probably the go back that... into the other comics and go, oh yeah, then this one and this one and this one and this one. It's yeah. The, to me, I, I'm I'm with Disney on this one. This doesn't seem like this doesn't I seem right to me. That that robotic costume. I mean, if you look back at like even Voltron, it's a very similar setup. Like it's just, I don't know. I think that there isn't a lot to this, but it's the fact that they just keep going after it. Granted, Disney Marvel. A lot of money. Like maybe they're just hoping to get something out of it yeah. for a well-known comic. I, I mean, I get it. You're smaller comic. You think that you've been wronged. You hear this a lot with like music uh, companies as well. Like someone thinks that their song is very similar to another. More frequently, that is easier to prove. When it comes to art, there's just so much of a viewer's eye, I guess, to it. So it's really curious as to if there's any truth to this but i found it really interesting it's it's come up a lot well it's, it's free publicity for them now and i mean if it's that similar isn't it a chance that they just ripped off an, an older iron man to start with <laughs> i think it's the fact that the radix character if if you get a chance to look at him later gary uh they it's the helmetless <clears throat> body suit look of it that that is very similar but similarities I, it's, it's tough it's... i mean to gary's point and not to uh you know marginalize radix but all of us who've heard of radix before this controversy say i kind of what i thought hmm. so i and that's part of marvel's argument too like you really think we were digging through your comic garbage for our poster for iron man 3 like really well i could might not be garbage that's what i was trying to say i'm not trying to marginalize it or belittle it but it's just uh you know like yeah all right i mean if you really want to go down that road fine oh it's gonna be hard to prove yeah for sure it's well, like when we were talking about doom patrol versus x-men and then fantastic four versus doom patrol and all that i mean i yeah guess what Comic book history is littered with that stuff. Okay, exactly. They borrow from each other infinitely. I think it's just less of a lawsuit when it's the big two versus. Well, that's true. When you make a billion dollars, right? Uh, every film you put out, it's. I mean, someone's going to come sniffing for that money eventually. Right. Speaking of things that could potentially bring in a billion dollars, Gary. Oh, you're on fire. Well, in, in order for them to uh, settle that case, they gotta they gotta prove it. And to do that, they got to make connections. So here, here, here's the connections I'm making. Okay, we got Samuel L. Jackson. We got Hugh Jackman. We got Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds and Jackson have developed a very good on-screen 
chemistry with the Hitman's Bodyguard series. We got the Fury and Wolverine connection. We got the X-Men to the MCU. We got the Fury and Deadpool connection. We need to get Deadpool to the MCU. We got Reynolds and Jackman with their internet feud, you know, and the chemistry they've got going on. And there's the Deadpool Wolverine connection, you know, through, throughout comics. So what could this mean? I think it means that the new Hollywood squares. Yes, exactly where I was going with that. No, I think we're going to have Wolverine and Nick Fury in either Deadpool three or Deadpool four. At least that's what the sources who have been right before have had to say. Um, problem with this is, is uh, Hugh Jackman's 52. And while he's still in shape, the, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that Logan role is pretty taxing. And not to mention that his Logan movie was supposed to be the goodbye to the character. Um, I would pay a lot of money to see that. And I think I have a way that they could do it. Now in Falcon and Winter Soldier, for those of you who have seen it, there was many mentions of a uh, small island nation called uh, Madripoor. I don't know if any of you are uh, familiar with that. It all pass. There you go. Hugh Jackman wouldn't even have to work out. He just walks around in a tux with a patch on. He's good to go. That's where he went to hide out when the X-Men were all supposed to be dead. So you could have Deadpool killing a bunch of criminals. Nick Fury looking for something, and they just happen to run across good old patch, and that's how you get your X-Men into the MCU. You heard it here first. Well, speaking of sources that previously were right, if there's one thing Phil will tell you about, the thing that drives me nuts is every time something new about Superman comes up, what does everyone try to do? They try to tell us that we're trying to do what with Superman? Find out what he means to a modern audience. Right. So, according to a shocking title that appeared on Giant Freaking Robot just two weeks ago, Superman comics will no longer be published by DC. Replaced. Now, here's the story. They are saying that Superman is always a cornerstone character in DC Comics. Get out of here, really? Um, he's had many titles over the decades. Yeah, think? There have been untold numbers of versions and reboots. No way! The character has usually been in a comic book that simply carried the name Superman. Eh, wrong! Action Comics number one, genius. He's been in Action Comics number one since 1938 couple of times you know they did try to remove him at one point but that was the flagship title now here's the thing they are replacing superman with are you ready for this superman kal-el's story will close and it'll be jonathan kent who will take up the mantle as superman so they are replacing Superman, but he's being replaced by Superman. And they have the title, Superman Comics Will No Longer Be Published by DC. Clickbait, maybe? I suppose? But this is literally the dumbest story I have seen in a very long time. 
I mean, my God. Now, obviously, this is DC's attempt, and you can't blame them, to capitalize on the unexpected success of Superman and Lois um, by bringing in the son of Superman. But, man, come on, man. When you start off your article with, Superman has always appeared in comics called Superman, <laughs> you clearly demonstrate that you have no idea what you're talking about. I'm done with that. <laughs> well, let's talk about one misleading title to another. One of my favorite comics that I've been picking up as of late has been Nonstop Spider-Man. But guess what's wrong about that title? He's being replaced Nothing. with something that's also Spider-Man. No, it's just not as nonstop as we thought. It was oh, super cover-cover <laughs> action. Man, it's going to come out every month. It's going to be cover-cover. Spider-Man fighting crime and... <laughs> we cannot keep up. Sorry, guys. We got to take two months off. <sighs> that reminds so, me of those great Simpsons jokes with the never-ending story and when Nelson's coming out of the movie Naked Lunch. There are two things wrong with that title. <laughs> I just thought this was funny. It's a very, it's a very inaccurate title. Um, definitely worth the read. But man, the idea that they touted this and and said that it was going to be this action-packed, never-ending thing, and it just sadly will not be around for a couple months. It's hurtful. It's hurtful, especially if you're reading it, because. It was really action-packed. Oh, well. Waiting with bated breath for the next one? Yeah, it sucks. A couple months. But I'm sure there are other things full of action. Oh, Gary. there are. The things that I have been waiting for for, wow, uh, 20, 30, 40, Long time. 42 years. Woo. I don't even know Russo that. Brothers. <laughs> Those Russo brothers. Uh, announced in a 2019 Comic-Con that they will be producing a live-action adaptation of Battle of the Planets. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, it was also known as G-Force. Um, this, no, not the guinea pig hamster movie yeah, from a couple years ago. Don't fall into that trap. Yeah, no, I, I tried looking that up, and I kept finding all these little cute fuzzy things. <sighs> so, uh, Battle of the Planets is an Americanized version of the Japanese anime Science Ninja Team Gachaman. Um, I knew it as G-Force, as I mentioned. Um, and as I also mentioned again, not the guinea pig movie. Let's keep feeling the need to drive that home. Um, Joe Russo said, this is not going to be a direct adaptation of the series. I'm out. It's going to be an original story with a new mythology. Normally, I would freak out about that. However, this reportedly as they said was their favorite cartoon series growing up so this is again sort of a passion project for them um uh it is is still in what they call the bible phase where they're still trying to uh come up with the the new mythology and you know the the world that it exists in and then what's once that takes place then they can come up with concept art and then you know then a script so th this is going to take a while but um, the most recent report I found on this was in January of 2021. So this is somewhat recent news. But again, this was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. I've got pictures of, of me sitting on the couch with my, my two neighbors watching this show. Um, I have the 
figures on cards somewhere. I've had the comic book series. I have a card set in a small binder behind me. I love this property. You know there's a movie already out there, right? And a not the gerbil one. Um, no, I, I saw something that had a couple of the characters. I think it was, well, I'm it's trying to think what It's a Japanese production. They yeah. did that and Star Blazers. Star Blazers, oh, I love that. I love that, too. That was a, a good prequel to that. Um, there was a couple of the G-Force char- or Gatchaman characters. Um, so have you seen this? No, okay. no. Th- th- there, there was. There's an animated Japanese series that has a couple of the characters in it, but it is not a no live action movie. That's what specific. I'm trying to tell you. There's a live action G Force movie. When? Where? It's out there. We gotta find it. We gotta find the Star Blazers one too. No, I was not aware of that. Yeah, it's out there. All right, I'm gonna sign off. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, uh, something else that the. Uh, Russo brothers are working on another one of their uh, passion projects. They are working on an animated magic, the gathering series. Okay. I feel I can't tell if you're choking or if you're happy. I don't know how I feel about that. Is it a planeswalker thing? It, it, it's that storyline, you know, Jason, you know, all of them. Um, there was actually a new comic book that started as well that I just started picking up. Um, don't have a lot of details on that, but again, it's an animated series using the characters from Magic the Gathering. Um, it's something else I'm into, you know, magic. Um, but for those of you who cannot wait for the movie or the animated series, um, there is a new video game out called Magic Legends. It is an MMO action RPG similar to Diablo. Uh, the open beta... Uh, opened in March of 2021 with plans to release later this year as a free-to-play title on Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. Um, like Diablo, only there are some deck-building aspects to it. Uh, my brother is stoked for this. Nothing turns me off more from a video game than those three words that you said. Free-to-play. Oh, I'm sure there's in-game purchases. Microtransactions destroy. Oh, yeah. I, I just started playing Marvel Strike Force. I played it for a long time. Don't do yeah. it. No, I just loaded it, like, this week. So I've, I've managed to not spend anything. Do that, because in, like, three months max, you'll say, I'm done with this, and then you'll realize you sunk a bunch of money into it. <clears throat> I don't know, the uh, Transformers Earth Wars, I've been playing for almost five years now, so... Yes, each their own. Yeah. Uh, wow, I'm blanking out here. Well, that's okay, because I know that for a fact, Darren has to have something magical coming from DC. Well, sure. Um, well, Phil, you, tried, man. You, you were four for five, so that's a pretty good clip for you. Um, I used magic and I got you to DC. Well, I, that that's a solid double. There's no, there's no. Did, well, Phil's, Phil's no, he's he just fumbled the ball, Darren. <laughs> I don't think it was me, to be honest with you. Um, so do you guys remember back in the uh, summer when everything was shut down and there was no Comic Con, and then DC came out and said we're doing Fandom, and everyone kind of laughed. 
Hey, wait, wait, the world shut down? And then, yeah, it did. And then, um, it was kind of awesome. <laughs> and 22 million people showed up for this thing. And DC was like, uh, guys, we, uh, we didn't think there was going to be that many people. Like 22 million people <laughs> tried to get into this thing. Um, they did it in August, and they had, because there was such a huge response, they had to split it up and do another one in December. Well, they're going to do another one in October, and um, you can pretty much... I'm, I'm going to make a prediction with the Flash shooting now. Well, there's your there's going to be your teaser trailer right there. That's going to come um, during that. In December, they did the big trailer reveal for Wonder Woman 1984. wonder if we'll be talking about that later this month. Um... Uh, so there's going to be, there's more announcements are coming, but set your calendars for October 16th, 2021. That will be the next time the DC does their worldwide fan convention, uh, for their properties, fandom. I went in there. I remember our former co-host Tim went in there and he's like, I'll see this thing for 20 minutes. And he goes like, I've been in here for four hours and, uh, it was pretty awesome. Anything like Thunderdome? Uh, there was no battling going on. Nothing like that. And uh, to further f- prove Phil's point that he's doing a great job, I got nothing, Matt, so just go ahead and go. Hey, all right. Speaking of having nothing, this group of people have nothing to lose. That's right. We're talking about the new Star Wars. Thank you. Thumbs up. Oh, oh I felt that one. <laughs> That's a guy. <laughs> so at any rate, to get to the point here, uh, as many Star Wars fans know, uh, while we were away, there was May 4th. And May the 4th be with you ran around, especially on Reddit and on Twitter and all that good stuff to the point where you really wish people would have stopped. But also, Bad Batch released on Disney+. Plus. Now, since it is after, I know we got to be careful about dating ourselves, but it is after May 4th. Uh, it has been released, and I've had the opportunity to watch the majority of the first episode. But what was cool, oh, just for a little bit of context here, if people aren't familiar with it, Bad Batch is a group of characters that are clones that have mutations. Now, these mutations have been advantageous for this particular group, and they are a special force, uh, I believe the 99, uh, that is capable of doing things that other clones would not be able to do uh, because they operate somewhat independently. They're definitely roguish in their nature, so they are prime uh, characters to be followed throughout Star Wars. Um, They were a four-episode arc in season seven of the clone wars um and it follows these characters and in fact they add they were originally just four of them but through that four person arc they added a fifth they pick up uh there with the first episode and of course this happens between the clone wars or attack of the clones and revenge of the sith as we're going to see because there's a couple or actually around revenge of the sith i apologize because there is something that happens right at the very beginning of bad batch that kind of dates itself and, and puts itself right in line with the prequel trilogy um, I got the chance to see it. Uh, I didn't not finish it because I didn't want to. I just have no time right now in my personal life. So I've been having to catch it in 10 and 15 minute increments, which is not the best way to watch a show. So I think a little bit later on this evening, I'm actually going to sit down and watch the entire thing just as a solid run. Um, but that's not the only thing that took place a day. Oh, after real, quick, real quick before you move on. I did have a question about it. Sure. Who's, who has not watched Clone Wars, who has attempted multiple times to start it and has made it through it. Can I watch a Bad Batch without seeing that part of Clone Wars? Nah, just go back. I tell you what I did. So I haven't watched Clone Wars in its entirety, too. My son and I have tried watching it uh, a couple of times, and I think kind of ran into the same thing. It's a little bit too 
pulpy for me sometimes. Yes. It can be just a little bit too much. So I, I just went back and actually season seven came out just last year. So or, or real, real recently. I can't remember exactly the year, but it was there was a gap between season six and season seven. And it literally is the first four episodes of season seven. So you could easily go back and catch it. Um, that's actually what I did. And they're only about 20 to 25 minutes long. So it doesn't take you too long to bust through the entire thing. And they actually are really entertaining. See, um, I was curious to watch it, but I was, I was nervous to jump in without seeing Clone Wars. You know what? I, I think, I think they've done enough good storytelling and they're going to be, you're going to be able to catch up pretty quickly. Um, but I would go back and watch it because, like I said, it'll take about an hour and a half maybe to go through the entire four-episode arc. Um, and I think it's nice to have because it provides you a little bit of uh, backstory uh, for one of the particular characters, Echo. And I think that's kind of important for you to see. You don't have to. You'll you'll still get the gist of the show and what's kind of doing because of where it picks up. But, um, yeah. And then they spend the majority of the first episode on the planet Camino, which everybody knows is just constantly raining and, and wet and, and all that good fun stuff. And, um, they, and they breed moving, cars and trucks on that planet. What's it? Yeah, <laughs> that's planet El Camino. That's oh, little... sorry. It's the it's the the planet just to the left. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. So... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so that was a dad joke, I guess. Um, moving on. After May fourth, guys, this may surprise you guys, but it was May fifth, and on May fifth, the comic book series uh, War of the Bounty Hunters released its prelude. So it's coming out right now, and they're using a couple of different comic book titles that are actually uh, kind of leading up to the big event that's happening in June when they really get the War of the Bounty Hunters started up here. So they did the Prelude episode or the Prelude comic book, and that's Alpha number one. Uh, releasing later on this month is going to be Star Wars 13, and they're going to start alluding to War of the Bounty Hunters there. There's going to be Star Wars Bounty Hunters issue 12. That'll also t discuss this. Uh, Star Wars Darth Vader number 11 or number 12 rather I just bought number 11 earlier today uh, but number 12 is going to be on sale on May 26th along with Dr. Afra number 10 who is also going to be on uh, May 26th all of these will help provide a prelude toward what they're going to be working toward in June which is going to be the actual run of War of the Bounty Hunters which will continue through October and I, I know I've discussed it on previous episodes but that's how it's working out yeah Gary um, you're saying that May 5th came after the 4th yeah, so okay. all right. This is why you this construct called numbers, and they're really kind of arbitrary. But apparently, four is less than five, so that's how it works out. Gary, okay. let me. I got a. I got a tip for you here. It's it's easy way to remember. Remember cinco de cuatro to cinco de mayo. Oh, okay. For those who watch Arrested Development. <laughs> well, as we mentioned before, we have three educators and a pole and One of us who is not. So. Oh yeah, that's fun stuff. I actually am looking forward to the War of the Bounty Hunters, man. I, I think I have that on mm -hmm. order. Yeah, I just picked up that copy today, actually, so I'm really excited to sit down and read it. And there's actually a director's uh, the director's issue, so it's like a director's cut. So it's additional stuff that's added in there, um, additional stuff added in there. That's not yeah. redundant at all. Um, but some additional stuff at the end of the uh, comic book that kind of shows you some of the mock-ups and stuff like that. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's one of the. If you look at it, like it's another one of those areas of the original trilogy that somehow has not been overmined yet mm -hmm. like wow it took us 35 years to get to that one I, who would have thought and it's one of those man it's it's one of the one they should have picked up on a long time ago um from a galaxy far far away we boldly go somewhere else um come on man nothing for that huh okay mm -hmm. 
Yo. No, I, I, I giggled. All right, oh, so we have... It wasn't an audible giggle, but I mean, it was there. <laughs> we have some news coming from Star Trek. Uh, for Picard Season 2, Q will, will finally make his return to square off against uh, Jean-Luc Picard. John Delancey from... Star Trek Next Generation. Kent State University, oh. my friend. Um, he is a he's a brother of uh, Phil's and mine, as we have the same alma mater. Uh, he will uh, reprise his role as Q, the by far the most popular villain, singular villain. I know the Borg, but Q is the most popular singular villain, and uh, one everyone wanted to see come into the movies, but he never did make it. So now he's finally going to return to square off against uh, Patrick Stewart, Jean Luc Picard once again. I know the fan base is lit on fire by this. He was the he was the guy that was in the very very first episode. Um, that put humanity on trial and then appeared again several times throughout the series and, uh, and closed out uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, the series, uh, by appearing in the final episode as well. He's appeared in other Star Trek uh, episodes, but he, is never, he was never in any of the movies and nothing to go... He, is, he and Picard, uh, Stewart have not been on screen together since then, so I know people are really, really excited about that. One might even say they're licking it up like candy. Huh. You skipped one. That would have been good otherwise. That would have been good. Soundbite. <laughs> let, let, let me try again. Some might say that there's no way it can fail. It's almost invincible. That's better. There you go. Take two. Always works. Invincible. Uh, I've been touting uh, quite a bit about the comic series since I read them all, and they were, they were very, very, very well worth the read. The first season of Invincible just wrapped on Amazon Prime. And the day that it wrapped, they renewed it for two more seasons with the incredibly brutal ending that was one of the big spoilers that I was dancing around during my review, which is still a little too fresh to drop on ears. Uh, have you, any of you guys had a chance to watch any of it? No, unfortunately not. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm the big fan, and I think I've watched the first like 20 minutes of the first episode. I just haven't had the chance uh sadly this is that time of year that time is not my friend um so uh, it's something i would definitely binge this summer it seems like it's pretty much from the very beginning of the comic series to the big twist that i was talking about uh, i saw a couple screenshots of that uh big moment there are a lot of memes going around right now about it if you have not seen any uh images of a very muscular man covered in blood uh beating on someone and saying that's the truth mark uh that's that's an invincible reference and you will uh you will see it if you ever get the chance to watch the show it's getting rave reviews obviously with two more seasons on the way it seems that amazon prime is really starting to find a little bit of ground with their comic book things they have the boys and now they have invincible and more to come but there are other really really cool comic book properties oh oh i have a hand i do yeah i was just going to ask you a couple questions i'm not trying to throw this back at you but um i actually downloaded some invincible on comiXology after your retro review that you did right. a couple months ago which was outstanding but the do you recommend somebody has to read invincible in order to kind of understand the little bit that you've seen thus far of the show or do you think do you think the experience of reading the comic book is worth doing before you sit down and watch the show um, I mean, I always feel that reading the comic always kind of 
adds something to it, but it also has you looking at a show through a different lens. I think I know people that have watched it that knew nothing about Invincible prior that absolutely love the show. And how many issues does the first season cover? Have they announced that at all? I'm just a little bit curious uh, about that. Did it go like know, first 20 or something? Yeah, a quick Google. I can probably figure that out for oh. you. Um, just based on like my knowledge of the comic. But uh, I don't know that off the top of my head. I can probably tell you that by the time we're done doing the while we were away bit here. Um, but I, it's not a massive chunk. I would say no more than the first 30. But I, I will definitely double check that for you. Um so yeah, I mean it, it's it's different. I don't know if you had a chance to read any of it yet. It definitely starts off a little rocky, but get past those first few issues, and it's well worth the time. So where I was going though, <laughs> now I think I lost what we're about to segue was something to the effect of licking it up like candy. I think now, it's let's, let's, let's go back up to Darren talking about licking it up like candy. Netflix <laughs> is licking it up like candy, aren't they, Gary? Oh yes, they are. Uh, it's because they have a sweet tooth. Yes, uh, sweet tooth. The uh, Jeff Lemire comic series of the same name has been uh, is set to premiere in June of 2021. Uh, it's an American fantasy drama uh, in a world where human animal hybrids are born as a result or cause of a worldwide virus known as the Great Crumble. Uh, Gus, a deer boy who has lived in a secluded forest for 10 years, ventures out into the world. Um, this sounds right up my alley. Um, kind of getting away from the whole superhero aspect of comics, but this this day has my interest. And uh, it's got some star power with it as well. Uh, it's narrated by James Brolin. Uh, you may have heard of him. Um, the series stars Christian Convery as Gus, Will Forte, as his father and the executive producer or at least one of them is robert downey jr so again this is set to premiere in june of this year uh in other season tv related news from one netflix show to another netflix show but i do wonder will some of those animals in hybrids strike hard strike first no mercy interesting <clears throat> Maybe the snake-related ones. Cobra Kai Season 4 will happen in 2021. I wrapped Season 3 uh, about a week and a half ago. I, I am speechless. Um, I, when we, I, listen, when this thing came around three years ago, uh tim phil and i watched the trailer i think we watched it while we were recording and like laughed our heads off going this is ridiculous and then i remember like watching the first episode and texting two of you going oh my god you guys the show is incredible and how it got through a first season being as good as it was and got better and better and then season two was just as good and season three was better than season two there's i don't understand how this is possible that the all valley under 18 karate tournament from 1984 somehow reverberates 40 years in the future and it is so good i i, I mean there were moments in this 
because I was somehow I managed to avoid all spoilers by the time I got around to season three, and there were moments like in the in the in the show where someone showed up and it was like Stone Cold Steve Austin's music went on and I'm Jim Ross going, my God, what's he doing here? It's so good. It, it's it it it's just like grin your you have a grin on your face. You know how we always talk about shows like, oh, they, they take the genre and flip it on his ear. They're trying to circumvent all the cliches. I think Cobra Kai has realized that the cliche now are shows and comics and movies that try to circumvent cliches. So instead, they steer right into them. And you see it coming a mile out. And you're still just so happy about it. I... I can't wait. I want an Eagle Fang karate t-shirt. For those of you who don't know what that is, that is a thing. Eagle Fang karate. Phil, have you seen season three at all? No, I have not. It's, it is it's, so good. It's touching at times. It is very touching this, at times. This is a safe space, right? We're in a safe space here. The four of us. Safe yes, we are. Okay. Karate Kid was the beginning and the end for me in growing up. Like, that was the most, probably the most seminal movie in my youth. Do you know how many episodes I have watched of Cobra Kai? Zero. It's a little more than zero, but barely. I cannot believe how the seven-year-old me would be so disappointed in the 42-year-old me right now because I have not watched more of this episode or much more of this show. I'm so disappointed in myself, guys. Darren, I vow to you, I will get caught up here shortly. It's not going to take you that long because they're like half-hour episodes. There's only 10 of them. I think there are only 30 total. It's once you start, and I remember, I hope we do get to go back to Free Comic Book Day because I hope Dan is listening because Dan was the one who pointed out to me that in season one, Johnny is Miyagi. And I went, oh my God, you just made it a thousand times better. <laughs> um, and the way they handle Miyagi's absence, it's just, I, 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 there's there's no way to describe it and how good it is and why it's that good. It just is. You just got to watch it. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I think I watched the first two seasons in like three days. I just binged them. There, there are moments in this season that they've been building to that get you emotional. And I, I was, because my wife and daughter, they were at a Girl Scout camp. My son fell asleep at like 7 o'clock. So two weeks ago, I'm sitting here watching Cobra Kai, and I'm getting misty. And I'm like, what the F is wrong with me? It's freaking Johnny Lawrence from Karate Kid is why I'm crying. <laughs> you remember the villain? Yeah. No. <laughs> and by the way... Uh, whatever acting awards are out there, they all need to go to Martin Cove as uh, John Kreese. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, speaking of uh, mining our childhood, uh, I'm doing this story because, well, it's like other ones I've done. According (laughs) to a report from Discussing Film via Giant Freaking Robot, Paramount Plus is developing a live-action adaptation of The Fairly Odd Parents. Uh, Series creator Butch Hartman is on as executive producer, and Christopher J. Nowak will act as the showrunner. Uh, The Fairly Odd Parents, a uh, 
badly drawn cartoon, yet still incredibly entertaining. Uh, originally started in 2001 and ran for 11 seasons. Uh, filming is to start in June. Um, I think this is because absolutely nobody asked for it. So why not? It's because Paramount Plus needs more stuff. <sighs> yeah, but that... Really? <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 I remember there was a was it uh, I think Drake Bell or something was was in a a, a one off special where I know he was Timmy Turner and honestly I don't remember what they did with the fairies in that. Gary, we're in a world in which we are getting adult Powerpuff Girls. Like, I will say that there is one thing I am looking forward to if this comes to be Dinkleberg. Okay, nobody reacted, so I, I guess... I don't remember this All right. very well now. All right. That's, yeah. So... Well, from one thing that we're pretty sure no one asked for to yet another, because what do we need more of? Comic book shows. Especially comic book shows of characters that are B-list if they're lucky. Amazon Prime has picked up a Silk TV show... Uh, Silk being the other person bit by the same spider as Peter Parker, uh, who is a character in Marvel Comics, I think appeared four years ago uh, at first. Um, She's okay, uh, not my favorite by any stretch, but this is the closest thing to an ongoing uh, Spider-Man TV show. Um, so it could be interesting, and this is an Amazon Prime show that is going to start filming in August. Who knows? I, it could be surprisingly good. Amazon Prime has been kind of killing it with their stuff. Uh, I don't know about the source material being enough to really go too much off of, but we'll see. Uh, quick note, since Matt asked, the first season of Invincible basically encompasses the first 23 issues of Invincible. So if anybody wants to read it before they watch it, that seems to be where it's at. Um, That's all I was thinking of, because I think you said there were up to 140 issues. Is 144 is the complete run. Yeah, I didn't want to do that before I sat down and watched the first season, but uh, 23 is a much more manageable number. Yeah, 23 is digestible, and you can easily read the 23, watch it, and then most likely want to keep going to get caught up before season two. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a good bit coming out from everything as always hey darren remember when we started this and we mostly talked about things written on paper yeah yeah, yeah. when was that she's a long time ago seriously a very long time ago it, it right. just seemed it's impressive to see how much is out to be consumed visually and audioly instead of on on paper it, it's just a wild world that we live if when we started panel scanners i never thought we would be at the point that there'd be so much out there that i would not be able to scratch the surface of everything that i want to do you remember when we started it was arrow had actually was announced like about a year or so into our run and we were sort of like dubious like it's a comic book show is this thing really gonna work i mean we were in a post smallville world there was certainly no safe bets and we were kind of like, I was like, I'm going to watch it because it's Green Arrow, but really? And it's, and we, we, we were not sure a comic book show would make it as a television show, and now it's... <laughs> Everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, the MCU was really just starting to turn its 
gears and like it's just it's such a ridiculous thing to look back on and the fact that we sat here and i think we i made we had like what two conversations about comic book things that were actual comic books it's a very different world there's just so much out there there is so much out there remember remember the time when if you talked about avengers you got looked down on (laughs) man tell you what it's impressive to see being in a school, how much kids don't get beat up talking about comic books. That's a really good way to put it. Oh, right. Man. Well, fair, man. I know. We they have no that. idea how easy they have it. I know. Yeah, we, we, we built that bridge they're crossing, so. All right. right. So, with that thought in mind, thinking back to a better time when comic books was our only way to really absorb these things, that's kind of why we do this next segment where we look back on things that we either read and loved when we were kids or always wanted to read and never really got our grubby little mitts on them. And Darren, you have something special for us this month in your retroactive review. Dynamite drop in Monty. Um, yes, I am doing this month, something that's uh, probably I'm going to guess not a lot of you've heard of. It's called swords of the swashbucklers. All right, Uh, you ready for this? Here we go. A lighthouse on the Carolina shores, a mysterious ancestral heritage, galleons and frigates sailing into high adventure, a rebellious pirate captain with a reckless streak, a crew on the brink of mutiny, like always on the brink of mutiny, an oppressive conquering regime, a young teen discovering her otherworldly abilities, a diverse crew of humans, humanoids, and aliens alike, Portals to other dimensions, a daring rescue plan, time travel, lawless planets, the vastness of space. All of this and much more describes Bill Mantlow and Jackson Juice's creator-owned comic, Swords of the Swashbucklers, published by Marvel's imprint Epic from 1985 to 1987. The story begins as teenager Domino Blackthorn Drake and her pet tabby cat Captain Kidd are frolicking along the shores of South Carolina, racing to discover what a recent storm may have washed up on the shores. Her parents, a pre-Dunder Mifflin Jim and Pam, those are their names, Jim and Pam, worry about their daughter's obsession with the sea. Domino ignores typical teenage social norms, which, given the time period uh, this is produced, I assume would involve going to the mall and... Other stuff? Anyway, she instead prefers to explore the shores and dreams of the life her ancestor Pirate Queen Bla- excuse me, Pirate Queen Bonnie Blackthorn led as one of the most notorious pirates who sailed those waters. So briefly, that is to say suddenly and without warning, as things in comics occur, Domino happens upon a dimensional portal or beacon. When she touches the it, when she touches the device, it zaps her into unconsciousness. Domino's interaction with the device acts as a beacon to another realm, as our Earth was hidden beyond an entity known as the Cloud Wall, a thought-to-be impenetrable force for the inhabitants of a strange dimension. Cut to a battle between what appear to be a pair of high-masted sea ships which have been retrofitted for space travel. And presently, space battle. The battle rages between the oppressive colonizers, 
who hop from planet to planet, colonizing and conquering. They are in pursuit of Radar, her band of pirates who resists the colonizers by Robin Hood-like methods. Radar is fearless, fearless and quick-witted. Radar is half is a half-native inhabitant of the swashbuckler's dimension and half-human. She appears wearing very typical pirate garb with high-cuffed boots and loose-fitting clothing. The only aspect of her appearance that indicates her alien heritage are a pair of horn-like protrusions extending from her forehead upwards. She is the daughter of a high-ranking colonizer fleet general named, and i got to be careful with this one, Jorel. J.R.E.L., not Jorel. J-O-R dot E-L. Her mother, you guessed it, Pirate Queen Bonnie Blackthorn, whose disappearance was similar to Domino's when she found her way to Jarrell's dimension two centuries earlier. Bonnie Blackthorn had gained a sort of immortality when she entered the dimension and bonded with Jarrell. Radar and her crew are outgunned and outmanned. She convinces her near-mutinous crew that the only way to escape capture at the hands of the colonizers is to forge ahead through that cloud wall. Raider did not think that the colonizer fleet would pursue, but she was also unaware that her father was at the helm of the fleet. He knew that she was at the command of the pirate ship. Radar is stunned to find that on the other side of the cloud wall is her mother's home dimension, Earth. Her ship's navigator had latched onto the first beacon he could find, which just so happened to be the beacon that Domino had activated. Once on Earth, Jarell and the colonizer fleet realize they have discovered a much bigger prize than Radar, a new world to colonize. They abandon their pursuit, analyze a nearby naval base as a threat, and begin their assault. Domino awakens to find her parents trying to get them to cover, and when Domino's abilities first manifest and she helps Radar and the crew defeat the colonizers, in the confusion, Jarell, realizing that he had found his estranged wife's home world and indeed her ancestors, grabs Domino's parents, taking them back into the dimension. Radar, seeing Domino flailing exhaustively from the use of her powers, near to drowning, chooses to help her to safety of her ship, but her efforts get her captured by the colonizer forces. Radar is then transported to a prison planet to await execution. Domino is now alone in Radar's ship with an angry crew, newfound powers, her parents captured, and headed into a new strange dimension. Now that's about as far as I want to go with story details because most everything else would be spoilerific. It feels complicated, but the story is very well paced and crafted. From this point forward, rebellion and daring rescue plans are the name of the game. Pure escapist fair and exactly what i needed to be reading at this time it's a female character-led comic book science fiction adventure long before some of the more contemporary examples it is the work of two master craftsmen at their peaks writer bill mantlo he is a name that if you have listened to this podcast for any period of time you will recognize Mantlow began his career at Marvel when he managed to obtain a production assistant job with the publisher. I have reviewed two of the projects for which Mantlow gained his most significant notoriety within comics, Micronauts and Rom Space Knight. Both of those titles were based upon pre-mid to late 70s toy lines. Mego provided the toys for Micronauts, 
Hasbro provided the toy singular for Rom. Matlow created the character bios, mythology, universe building, and anything else that gave those artifacts of injection-molded plastic any semblance of context. His work was so strong that both Micronauts and Rom continued to be revisited multiple times after their initial runs, and their existences are even accounted for during some of Marvel's biggest crossover events, as Phil has reported to me in a couple of times. Wasn't it like Secret Wars? I think the Micronauts don't appear, but they were pretty popular at the time, so they at least let you know that they were still out there somewhere. Yeah, there's another one, too, that they were at least referenced, or at least the Microverse was deeply referenced. It's been a while. It might have been Secret Wars. Well, for more on Micronauts, listen to my retroactive review of the original run from the Panel Scanners episode 42 back in August 2016. For more on Rom Space Night, check out my retro from Carolyn John's free comic book day midnight release party from May of 2017. Both Rom and Micronauts have since moved on to IDW, both receiving reboots in 2015, both of which were routinely featured in my SSPS lists from that time period. A few years later, following his initial runs on Micronauts and Rom, Matlow was approached to help jumpstart another toy license that Marvel had acquired. Gary, would you like to tell the kid he was what that was? Yeah, Transformers. That is correct. Matlow plotted the first two issues of Transformers, and along with Jim Salakrup and Bob Budiansky, helped create the narrative for Transformers before the cartoon took over weekday afternoons. For more on Transformers and the Transformers comic, check out the retroactive review that Gary and I did with our pal Mark back in May of 2020. All right. Time for Phil's favorite part of my retroactive reviews. Matt, better get ready for this because you're a Marvel guy too. You ready? Matt Lowe's legacy is most visible in the Marvel MCU as he, along with artist Keith Giffen, are the creators behind which popular character? Do not look this up. Get your hands off that keyboard, foo. Matt, mute him. He's totally cheating. I'm not cheating. Matt Lowe, Marvel. Okay, do you want a hint? Yes. Yes. Okay. This character will still feature in upcoming movies. Crash Panda. He survived the snap. Now I'm trying to remember, and this is a this is a main. And I and I actually you guys asked, have talked about this in past episodes. Come I've on, asked man. this question twice already. This is always when it's Rocket Raccoon. Yes, Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> oh, okay. Trash Panda. Yes. Oh, Trash Panda. I, I honestly thought you said Crash Panda, like Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> this is like this is like in a couple years when I ask Phil Jim Starlin was f- responsible for creating which Marvel villain which I have literally asked four different times and literally it's because I don't remember who created anybody and, just, who, and who is that villain by the way I don't know <laughs> well I'm not done would it be as much fun if I actually knew every time <laughs> clearly not I'll give you that Additionally, Matt Lowe, along with artist Ed Hannigan, is credited with creating Cloak and Dagger. He also enjoyed runs on Iron Man and the Spectacular Spider-Man, through which he helped introduce Frank Miller's take on Daredevil. 
Matt Lowe's other significant contributions to Marvel's legacy include a lengthy run on The Incredible Hulk, during which he introduced what important evolution to the Hulk? What evolution to the Hulk? Yes. What important evolution? Matt Lowe is responsible for a very important evolution to the Hulk. Something that has been featured in the Marvel, in the MCU. Are you talking about like the aware Hulk, like the intelligent one? Yes, that's exactly right. The Hulk retains Banner's intelligence. Um, Mallow had scaled back his comics work after entering law school in the late 1980s. He presumably, presumably was looking for a way out as, like most creators at the time, Mallow had grown to odds with Marvel Brass. Matlow had a cup of coffee with DC when he re-teamed with Keith Giffen on Invasion, a series designed to connect the threads of several post-crisis DC titles. This was adapted into the first CW crossover event between Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl. And uh, Legends of Tomorrow was the other one, yeah. Sadly, as I have detailed previously through reviews of Micronauts and Rom, in 1992, Matlow suffered severe head trauma when he was struck by a car while rollerblading. Matlow's injuries from that collision have significantly impaired his cognitive abilities. He requires round-the-clock care. You can donate to the Bill Matlow Support Fund, which I have in the past and did so again while producing this review. Now, Phil, when we were talking about Bill Matlow back when I covered Micronauts, uh, Marvel really didn't hadn't done much. You know, Rocket Raccoon was just about to premiere. Uh, I've been kind of researching, and people were upset by this, so like, you're you're gonna make a bu- bunch of money off this guy. How about helping him out a little bit here? And since that time, Bill Mantlo's brother has come out and said Marvel has been treating us extraordinarily well, and he really doesn't think they could do much more than they have been doing. Um, so that's that's good news on that front. Mantlo is one of the many unsung heroes in the comics industry, as his work will attest. One need look no further than Rom Space Knight. The toy is a piece of junk. It's, only, it's the only toy in the toy line. Yet Matlow created an enduring mythology which still has a movie adaptation in the pipeline somehow. It is a pure testament to the man's imagination and why he was a 2014 recipient of the Bill Finger Award for Excellence in Comic Book Writing. Hopefully that award will pave the way for a Will Eisner Hall of Fame induction. Whenever we get around to doing our favorite writers, Matlow's a name that will, will certainly be near the top of my list. Artist Jackson Juice, his biggest supporter, was Mantlo. In fact, some of Juice's early work was uncredited pencils on ROM. He has also worked on Marvel's early Indiana Jones comics, Dazzler, the Mu- and the New Mutants. He notably took over for The Flash uh, with DC when the title relaunched following Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, this would be the first with Wally West in the lead after the demise of Barry Allen. Following his run on The Flash, Juice would return to Marvel, providing pencils for Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and worked with Walt Simonson on Fantastic Four. He then returned to DC in 1992, working on Action Comics, and remained in that post for a few years. Due to his time illustrating Superman for Action Comics, Juice was called on to be part of the team that mapped out the death and resurrection of Superman Project back in 1993. His art in Swords of Swashbucklers is terrific. The environment and the proceedings are ridiculously exotic, and the look and feel of his characters blends perfectly into this world. 
His character dimensions are understated. This was during a time when the comic book art had begun to trend towards more suggestive character dimensions, especially the female characters becoming more, let's just say exaggerated and leave it at that. Here, the character dimensions seem to depict ordinary people finding themselves in extraordinary situations. It is very easy to relate to his characters. Others providing art for the series include Jeff Isherwood, who had become a storyboard artist after several runs with Marvel. Colleen Doran, as is, is highly decorated as they come, most recently nominated at the 2020 Eisner Awards for Best Inker Penciler. Doran is someone who I assume Matt's probably familiar with, as she has a long-standing relationship with Neil Gaiman. Ricardo Villamonte is an artist I'm unfamiliar with. He worked for both DC and Marvel in the 70s. He did a book for DC back in 1975 called Beowulf the Dragon Slayer. I took a few peeks at this. you got to check it out. It looks incredible. Um, something like Swords of the Swashbucklers feels only doable in comics. Even with premium streaming channels and prestige format television series, the tone and sensibilities under which Swashbucklers was crafted is so dramatically different. Produced today, it would be given a glossy coat of computer-generated imagery, which even with the advances of today makes movies and TV series have kind of an antiseptic feel. Everything is too clean. And those that are rendered darker, more edgy, kind of feel out of step with Swashbucklers. I can't think of any modern on-screen production that feels right to compare Swashbucklers to. I kind of think it would work if the tone of one of those 80s primetime adventure series were able to be combined with modern production values like uh, Knight Rider or the A-Team. Something like, you know, very little stakes, but you know there's violence there, but it's kind of off-screen, you know, that kind of thing. Now, Swashbucklers was kind of truly lost to time, as are a great many of the epic titles. Indeed, while researching for this review, many of the sources I found for Mantlo failed to even mention Swashbucklers. This kind of does tend to occur for so many titles that are not tied to a larger universe. Dreadstar, an epic title I reviewed in the summer of 2020, the Panel Scanners episode 125, suffers a similar fate. It, too, was lost to time until a few years ago when whispers of a TV show emerged. Yet, it is not surprising that all has been quiet since. I was unaware of Swashbucklers even being a Mantlo fan until a Kickstarter campaign launched in 2017, promising a collected edition and the return to print for the first time since its original publication. I enthusiastically supported at a level to receive my name in the credits. It was pretty reasonable. And um, I received my edition right on time. A stretch goal of 50000 promised new Swashbucklers comics working with the Bill Mantlow estate and Jackson Juice. That goal was surpassed before the campaign closed, yet no update on new comics. There is no TV show in the works, no movie, no game of any sort, meaning that after this brief resurrection, Swashbucklers will return to being little more than a stray blip on the pop culture radar swashbucklers will fade into lost time once again but that's okay some things are better left as they are swords of the swashbucklers is high adventure on the high seas but in space a true example of the tone of 80s adventure comics the stakes were high but not too high the danger exists but was not graphic the characters were flawed but not tortured in short it's just a really fun read with genre-defining female leads that feel decades ahead of their time 
and who would fit right in with contemporary sensibilities in an age where comic book history is being ignored and overmined simultaneously, perhaps swashbucklers should remain in its most pure form. Sorry, I had trouble unmuting there. <sighs> the struggle. Mm. So, you said that there is no news at all about new issues even though the kickstarter basically promised them that's right i was uh they did say at a fifty thousand dollar stretch goal and i think it, the thing the campaign closed at fifty five thousand that they would have they were going to produce new uh stories for swords of the swashbucklers and uh nothing and this is 2017 nothing's materialized since then oh man that's sad and that was for like a hardbound version of the book right uh trade paperback I'm I'm trying to think of as you described a uh, like '80s series with with modern technology. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything like that. It's you know kind of feels like like Stargate came to mind initially, but yeah, I mean like going off into different dimensions, and uh, it's it's something that is definitely. I actually, I'll tell you, I didn't understand. I was having a hard time. To, are they just off in distant space? Is it a different dimension? The realm in which they travel to isn't really given a, a name. Um, but, that, I mean, that's, you know, that's neither was Star Wars. Uh, and then the, they end up going to a, a prison planet called Goal, where a lot of the action takes place. And then there's a pirate planet. Um, so, but it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of left ambiguous as to where they really are, which I do think works to it to some degree. I have half a memory of um, now. Now, okay, since this is like somewhat pirate-based, what was it? How do I phrase this question? Like older technology, as far as like you know the weaponry they used, but they happen to be on like a spaceship. Is it like steampunkish? In a way, yes. Um, the pirate ships look like pirate ships that we would see sailing the high seas. They're using cannons like out of there. So they actually do use oars to propel the ships, but I mean, obviously, they're not shooting cannonballs; they're shooting lasers and such like that. Right. Okay. Kind of reminds me of something else, and I can't put my finger on what it is, though. There's an early 2000s Disney animated film that this is really, really hitting me, and I cannot remember what the like Forbidden Planet or something like that. Ah. It'll come to me afterward, but it reminds me of... of a, I know what you're thinking of, and I can't think of the name of it either. Yeah, it's something like that, but I cannot think of what it is. To me, this... Uh, and it, I urge you to kind of check out my review of Dreadstar, because it mm -hmm. was sort of along these same lines. Now, Epic was an imprint that was meant for adult, more adult readers. There's nothing in here, at least as far as I got, because I, I didn't get all the way. Uh, but I got at least halfway through nothing in here so far that would indicate that it's for adults only but it was also marvel stab at creator creator owned titles but it's just a it was just a fun guiltless read um and that's kind of like I, I remember phil and i talked a long time ago when i did a review of the star trek dc comics that we were reading some stuff like it was right around the time man of steel came out and um it was 
rated R, wasn't it? It was rated R. It was rated a hard PG-13. And it was like, I couldn't take Lily to see it at the time. I'm like, I can't take Lily to see Superman. Right? And then my son was seeing uh, uh, previews for um, Snack Sider's Justice League, and he was seeing Superman in there, and that was rated R. I'm like, how about that? The movie was Superman, and my son can't watch it. Um, uh, very uh, serendipitously, he's sitting in my lap right now with a Superman figure. He's found. Um so, but this is one of those things where you're you're invested in the story, you know there are stakes, you're pretty sure everyone's going to make it out okay, but you want to see how it ends, like the A-Team and Knight Rider and, you know, some of those shows back then that were, you, you knew everyone's going to make it to the closing credits, right? But you still wanted to see how it turned out. And this is kind of that, and it was exactly what I needed at the time. And uh, it's very well drawn. I mean, for the 1980s, it, it definitely fits in with the 1980s sort of style and sensibilities. And I dig this kind of stuff where it's it, they started from scratch in this, right? It's like, you know, we're going to take over. Like, Mantlo took over Micronauts, but he had the toys to go off of. He took over Rom, but he had the toy to go off of. And with this, it's just total start from scratch. I love world building like that. So I enjoyed it. Um were there any reports like this is just something that they, they wanted to do for a while and they finally took the opportunity? Well, or... I think it's born out of the fact that so many of the creators were, we all know who was at the top of Marvel, and he's not the most generous man when it came to sharing credit or even like paying. Sometimes he wasn't paying these guys either. And I think it the whole response to Epic was like, we are absolutely sick and tired of this. Um, we want our own space. We want to create our own stuff, and we don't want to just hand it over to you. Um, and I think this a lot of this was done to appease some of those creators. Um, you know, one of the things when I did the review for um, Dreadstar was Jim Starlin had sort of been under that thumb for a long time. I'll get it. I'll get it for you, buddy. Don't worry. And he just wanted to cut loose. So he was doing everything he could in Dreadstar, just like, you know, like weird horns of music that had power. And he was just like, whatever. He was just throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick. And, you know, it kind of tell that I, I loved reading Dreadstar. That thing was cool. And this is no different. I mean, this is just a lot of fun. It was something that was different. It was pretty much taking everything you think you love. And probably the reason why it wasn't successful, because it was the 1980s and you had female leads. So I think it was aimed at a very specific audience. It only lasted about 12 issues. I think I read about 10 of them and there was a graphic novel to start and then it lasted about another 12 issues before they wrapped it up. Did, did it actually wrap to a conclusion or did well, it, just... as I said, I haven't quite, quite gotten to the, to the end yet. Um, I think, uh, but this is one of the ones I wanted to do because I had read ROM and Micronauts and I really didn't get enough time. And I sort of fell in love with Bill Mantlo back then. And I really didn't get enough time to adequately like kind of, flesh out his career a little bit and um i uh really was able to do that this time and I, I think that he's one of those names that a lot of people don't know and you should because he has made some significant contributions he's still around he he did get to see his creation get to the big screen and um i'd, I'd, li I'd certainly like to see more of uh, his creations get to the big screen you you picked this up uh per issue correct no, it was a Kickstarter that I did um, back in 2017, and it was the entirety of uh, everything that was produced. 
Okay. I mean, if someone was interested in reading this, not, not one of us four, and yet, I mean, how would they go about finding this? I would say you're probably your best bet is to find it. It was a uh, dynamite entertainment that uh, put out the collected works and it's probably your best bet is to go to their website. Okay. I know you can find the trade in various places. It's around now. I just didn't know with, with its age, if it would be something that was out of print or. Uh, I don't know. Making. I don't think so. I mean, I've seen it on eBay for pretty cheap. Uh, it's, because I, I did try to go find those singular issues, and it's one of those like I don't know if I'm I have a couple series right now that I do want to go out and find the singular issues. I think it's going to be a difficult find for these because it was you know Epic Comics, so not small press, but at the same time, it was something that was not Spider Man. It wasn't we're talking the '80s, so this is not X Men. It wasn't the Teen Titans. This was it wasn't ordered was, probably. Yeah. No, it was it was short ordered if, if anything. <clears throat> And as we find, those short order ones are the ones that uh, retain value. <laughs> you are right. That is correct. Very, very cool. Yet another thing to add to the potential. Maybe one day I will read that when I'm not, you know, knee-deep in 50 other things. It won't take you long. You can do it in an afternoon. Fair enough. Uh, always fun. Always love hearing these because it does. It, it draws our attention to things that we may have missed. It sounds really familiar to me. Like, I feel like I've read a few issues. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just one of those things that just hits the ear and it seems like something that you would have known about. I think people should know about this. It's 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 pretty dang good. Well, very cool. All right. Well, that's about all we have for this part of the month, but we're definitely coming back later this month with uh, something that Matt made us suffer through uh later on later on this month darren is being inundated by child (laughs) later on this month we're going to talk about our least favorite comic book movies and man there are plenty wait 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 wait. i thought we were coming up with our favoritist oh okay well whoops i'm gonna have to pick my list well backwards then that that'll be you know the worst, then it will judge you on every good movie that you say is bad. That's how that works. I will get my pitchfork ready. <laughs> well, does anyone have anything cool to drop before we go our separate ways until later this month? Silence means no. Oh, All right. Well, as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Panel Scanners. I was trying to start going back through some of the comics that I was reading and reviewing them and then life hit me. So we'll see if that is something that continues. So until later this month. Bye-bye. Comics. Say it loud. It's louder. You have to yell, yell bye-bye.